The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Me again. Uh, let's let's pray uh, and look at look closer at these uh, these important words. Uh, Heavenly Father, please help us to see Christ more clearly this morning uh, as we wrestle uh, with the second part of, of 1 Corinthians. Uh, please be with us. Please continue to work uh, powerfully in our, in our hearts uh, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, John Stott was a remarkable man, an Anglican who was, who was part of the Church of England. He, he died in 2011, aged 90. Uh, people have described him as a gifted evangelist, a, a careful Bible teacher, a defender of the faith. He was known for including and, and training lay people for ministry. Uh, and in 2005, Time magazine ranked him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. He wrote over 50 books. And there's a story about his writing which I heard recently. Uh, apparently at one stage he was earning around one million dollars in royalties but he was a man who liked to live a sacrificial life and he gave away nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars of it and one person was was so impressed by this they made the mistake of going up to him and, and praising him for his incredible generosity uh, and i say mistake because of uh because this was stott's response if you knew my heart like jesus did you would spit in my face if you knew my heart like Jesus did, you would spit in my face. And the comment sounds slightly extreme, uh, but he was a man who, who had a huge influence as a Christian leader and who continues to have an influence on many lives through his work even since his passing. On one hand, there is nothing wrong with the, the praise that this person gave Stott, but it's his reply that is a caution against holding Christian leaders so highly that we forget they are just as much in need of God's grace and mercy as anyone. Stott revealed something of his heart, but also something of the incredible grace and mercy of God. How incredible to know that Jesus, the one who knows all hearts, showed grace and mercy to John Stott, just as he does to many of us. And I think the way Stott replied is particularly helpful for us as we look at this next section of 1 Corinthians this morning. 
because we learn more about a church that has elevated Christian leaders in a way that is actually causing division. And as with John Stott, the solution is not to go on about the greatness and the wisdom of the leaders who we know, but to focus on Christ and the work that he has done through the cross. Uh, This is our second week in 1 Corinthians. And last week we saw Paul was writing to a church that he was thankful for. And it's a church that had three things going for it. It was a holy church, made holy by God and called to be holy. It was a gifted church, gifted Jesus and also gifted by Jesus and therefore lacking nothing. And finally, it was a waiting church, not fixated on the here and now, but looking forward to the return of Jesus. Uh, These three things were intentionally mentioned by Paul because the church in Corinth was in fact struggling with its identity. There were some aspects of life in the church that made it look more like a soap opera than it did the people of God. So Paul begins by gently reminding them of their identity in Jesus. And we finished last week by seeing that God, who began this work in his people, would also bring it to completion because he is faithful He is their strength. Now this morning Paul is is done with the introduction and the the niceties and this is really the beginning of the body of the letter and the letter has two main parts to it. Chapters 1 to 6 are Paul's response to the information he's heard about the Corinthian church by word of mouth and then chapters 7 to 16 are his reply to a letter that the Corinthians have actually sent him and that's why he says at the start that's what he says at the start of chapter 7. But today chapter 1 and The way the passage breaks up, firstly we'll see the problem and the cause in verses 10 to 12, and then we'll see some solutions in verses 13 to 17. And we'll think about what it means for us as we go. So after the warmth of of last week's introduction, Paul begins the body of this letter by raising a problem in the church. There is division and there is quarreling. And it's so bad that, that Paul feels the need to appeal to them, to urge them, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a very good reason he makes this appeal in the name of Jesus Christ, which we'll come to soon. But for now, it's an appeal that the Corinthians agree with one another. It's very different to our, our modern approach, each to their own or agree to disagree. The call is to agree, and the reason, so that there won't be divisions and they'll be perfectly united in mind and thought. When you think of the global church, uh, when you think of local churches and the the people in the church, is that what comes to mind? People who agree with one another, perfectly united in mind and thought? Paul's appeal seems like a, a big ask for any church. Why does he start the letter this way? Uh, well, the reasons are there in verses 11 and 12. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Uh, Chloe was probably a part of the, the church in Corinth, and she's seen a problem emerge in recent times. The people in the church dividing and arguing. Now, in some cases, division is necessary. Uh, earlier, I, I spoke of some of the division in the, the wider Anglican church. And Paul will give an example of, of division when it comes to sinful behavior. He'll say in chapter 5, expel the wicked man from among you. Essentially meaning separate yourselves, divide yourself. But that's not the type of division uh, that he's worried about here. In verse 12, we see it's a division that's based on personalities and and worldly preferences. 
Look at verse 12. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. This is a division that seems to be based purely on, on personality and, and preference. I like Paul. It was, it was his preaching that changed my life. I can still remember that, that sermon that converted me. You, you like Paul, really? How many times do we need to hear him tell us that he's an apostle? I like Apollos. He, he's just a bit more relatable. And I've actually spoken to him. But Paul, he, he's never here. All he ever does is write letters. He doesn't let women preach. And did you hear he baptized an infant the other day? Well, that's part of the reason why I actually like Cephas. He, he's such a faithful guy. And he's got the right views on, on creation, on the end times, and his preaching. He always keeps it short and to the point. He uses illustrations that are so engaging, unlike Apollos, who just loves the sound of his own voice. As if we need to be preached at for an hour. That guy has, has zero personality. Divisions aren't uncommon today, are they? Particularly when we have the ability to hear from our, our favorite Christian leaders at the click of a button. If celebrity leaders were, were a, a problem in Paul's day, uh, it's not hard, as hard to see how that problem can be so much worse in our day. There are quarrels over personal preferences regarding these leaders. One thing it's worth noticing in our passage, Paul doesn't say that, that these leaders are the problem. There's no indication that the leaders are doing anything wrong. They don't seem to be competing for the limelight or, or speaking, uh, speaking badly about other leaders. Instead, it's, it's the worldly attitudes of the Corinthians that are causing problems. In life, we, we all have our preferences on things. One person likes warmer weather, another likes it cool. One person likes a big crowd, others like a quieter setting. And even in the church, we have preferences. Some like the, the liturgy, the words we say together in services. Others like more contemporary things. Some like old hymns. Some like modern music. Some like depth and length in a sermon. You lucked out there. Uh, others, others like it when, when things are succinct. There's absolutely nothing wrong with, with having our preferences. But don't for a moment think that, that having different preferences is a reason to divide or to cause division. It's in our nature to separate ourselves from those who think differently to us and to group ourselves with those who are like-minded. Uh, you sometimes see it in our churches, don't you? People with a particular approach to something uh, stick together in one corner, those with different views in another corner. And sometimes we do it without even realising. Uh, think of when you, you meet someone new. You ask them where they're from, their, their background, what sort of... Uh, churches they've been to, what, what sort of authors or, or preachers they like, and, and we get a little bit of an idea. And then maybe we ask them about their views on, on some of the hot topics of the day. And all of a sudden, we can want nothing to do with someone, uh, and we very quickly separate ourselves. Sometimes it's even worse. We, we make assumptions about people in our church family without even taking the time to speak with them. We fail to see that they, like us, also need the grace of God. It doesn't take much for our differences to become divisions. You'll have noticed that at the end of verse 12, one person says, I follow Christ. Uh, and some people suggest that this is actually Paul speaking. It's his take on, on the whole matter. 
And if that's the case, then, then maybe it begins to explain Paul's solution to the problem. Uh, look with me at verse 13. He asks a series of three rhetorical questions. The first, is Christ divided? And the answer is, of course, no. There is one Christ. He is not divided. And that means that the people of God shouldn't be divided either. We are his church. We are his body. Uh, back in verse 10, I mentioned how, how Paul appeals to them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason being, Christ is one. So the people of God should be one. One in mind, one in thought. Remember when Jesus prays in, in John 17, he prays that all of his people may be one. And surely that must start in our churches. Now one helpful distinction that, that someone uh, much wiser than me came up with, uh, we're thinking about being united as, as one. Unity is different from uniformity. We don't all have to, to look the same and, and think exactly the same and act exactly the same and speak exactly the same. But we can still be united. For to be united is to be joined as a whole. The different parts are united. Uh, during the time I spent in, in Rwanda, I had a chance to visit the Genocide Memorial, uh, which recognises the trauma that the nation of Rwanda has been through. And for anyone who doesn't know about uh, the history, there was a genocide there in 1994 that lasted about 100 days and saw about 1 million uh, of, of one of the tribes, the Tutsi people, killed by, by people from another tribe, the Hutu. And the memorial site is, is harrowing, as I'm sure you could, you could imagine. It tells the story of the brutality of what took place, but also the ways that the nation has begun to heal and continues to heal. And that was something that, that stood out for, for many of us there. Despite the, the hurt and evil that was perpetrated by one tribe against the other, the nation seems so determined to pursue unity now. It's not to say there aren't differences and, and different uh, experiences of the past and ongoing struggles, but to say that the people of Rwanda seem determined to recognise that both of these tribes make up a united Rwanda. All of them are Rwandan. Now, as Christians, we, we don't all think the same. Where there is false teaching and unrepentant sin, we don't pretend that there is unity. But where there is simply difference of opinion or, or preference, we are to pursue the unity we have in Christ. Is Christ divided? Of course not. And this means we, we really have to fight our, our natural instincts to, divo uh, to divide. We have to fight against that. Christ is one, therefore God's people should be one. Notice the, the next two rhetorical questions Paul asks. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? Uh, it's quite noticeable how, how Paul doesn't throw the other leaders who he's mentioned earlier under the bus. Even though he, he could have used their names, he doesn't make an example of them, but of himself. And Paul explains that he hasn't baptised many of the Corinthians at all. It wasn't Paul, but Jesus who died for the Corinthians. Jesus is the one whose name they have been baptised into. And therefore, Paul, even as an apostle, called specifically by God, Paul knows that in many ways he is insignificant. As are, all, as are all Christian leaders in the scheme of things. It's not to say Christian leaders shouldn't be respected or 
that they don't have a particular role to play in God's kingdom and, and in our lives. But he is saying, when you, when you look at the big picture, Christian leaders are somewhat insignificant because Christ is all. And that's the problem in Corinth. In fact, people are saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. It shows that, that leaders are being raised to a position that belongs only to Christ. Do you see yourself falling into this trap? Do you find yourself thinking along those kind of lines? Uh, as I've heard about the ministry here at St. Stephen's over the years, uh, well before my time, uh, I think you've been, you've been really blessed as a church. Uh, plenty of faithful staff. I'm sure a number who have played a part in the, in the strengthening of your faith or encouraging you through some of the, the harder moments in life. And we should absolutely be thankful to God for his faithfulness in, in providing us with godly leaders where that's been the case. And we should absolutely pray for our leaders. But be careful. Don't lift them into the place of Christ. Don't follow a leader. Follow Christ. Don't treat leaders like they can do no wrong. Don't treat other leaders like they can do no right. Uh, for us today, I think one of the ways we're, we're most at risk of that is when it comes to conferences or, or church camps, uh, making decisions whether we'll go, purely based on whether we, we like the speaker or, or whether they, they come from the right kind of stable or background. Rather than going along to show our oneness in Christ, uh, that's one of the joys of the, the men's and, and women's conventions that, uh, that are on yearly, on later this year. We have an opportunity to express that, that unity we have in Christ with people from across the city. So don't build your faith around human leaders. Build your faith on Christ who is one. Uh, we've started to think about the solution to the division in the church of Corinth. And, and Paul shows the Corinthians the clearest way forward in verse 17. He wasn't sent to baptize people into his own name, but to preach the gospel of Jesus. That is the role of a Christian leader, to preach it not with words of human wisdom, but to preach the cross of Christ. That is the news that we all need. God's power is shown to us at the cross, the righteous one dying for the many unrighteous so that the unrighteous might live and have everlasting life in him. It isn't fine-sounding words that people need. It's the cross of Christ. Uh, for, any, for anyone who followed GAFCON online, you, you'll have noticed you get a whole range of speakers, some very animated, some more reserved, uh, some who apparently forget their wives' names. Uh, but when someone preaches the, the cross of Christ, maybe in a different accent or, or with a different uh, style or structure to what we're used to but it's the cross of Christ nonetheless praise God for that is what the people of God need uh, we started with John Stott and I'm going to finish with this with John Stott as well now this is something he's written about the cross of Jesus it's a fairly long uh, fairly long quote I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross in the real world of pain how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth. 
a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsakenness, God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of this. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering, the cross of Christ as God's only self-justification in a world such as ours. It's not the wisdom of man, but the cross of Christ that shows us the power of God. Praise God when you see leaders proclaiming the cross. And when you're uh, discipling others in the faith, when you're, when you're walking alongside them, let the cross of Christ be the thing you point them to as well. What is the solution to the problem of division based on, on personality and, and preferences? It is Christ and his cross. Uh, pray that our leaders would exalt Christ and, and pray in particular that we would too. Amen.